You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. All right, Houdat Nation, welcome back inside another episode of the Straight Up Saints Podcast. It's your host, Chris Rosvogu. Now joining me for this particular episode of the Straight Up Saints Podcast is none other than John Ledyard of Pewter Report, one of the best Bucks insiders slash writers out there, and also does great NFL draft coverage on the site. You can check it out. John, thank you so much for joining the podcast, uh, and how's everything going? It's going great, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So this has been an interesting offseason for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and whether or not you could get into the specifics of is this the next dream team whether it's an Eagles dream team Vince Young joke or an actual dream team uh, the truth is they've had by far the most exciting offseason they added so many interesting pieces Uh, for you what do you think is a fair and realistic expectation for this Bucs team uh, I mean, I think the Super Bowl is realistic, you know, and I don't, I know people are going to be surprised by that because the Bucks are kind of the losingest franchise of all time, I think, win, win percentage wise. But, I mean, the Bucks really weren't far away from being a really good team last year. Now there's an extra playoff spot. You know, last year, if not for Jameis Winston setting the record in turnovers, I mean, they would have probably been a playoff team. I mean, I don't think people paid attention to how many games were just completely thrown away uh, by Winston's carelessness. And obviously, he did some good things too. But the Bucks feel like they found a quarterback who can continue to do good things while not doing nearly as many bad things. And I think it makes complete sense. So the defense is back together, another year of maturation for that group, and I think that they're going to be just fine. But the offense, I mean, people will look at it as kind of a dream team or kind of a, you know, a super team that they put together in the offseason, but really the big pieces were already there. I mean, the offensive line, they drafted Werf, certainly, but you know, the, the, the offensive line was really already in place and already improved a ton last season. Uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin already a pair of 1,000-yard receivers there. O.J. Howard was starting to find his way again after a rough start to the season. He was starting to find his way over the second half of last season, 2018, before he got hurt. He was ready to join the upper echelon of tight ends in the league, really. Um, so, I mean, there were tons of pieces already in place in Tampa Bay. Adding Tom Brady is obviously huge, and I don't want to downplay that. But I don't know that guys like Rob Gronkowski, I mean, although he'll have an important role and it's, it's certainly nice to have on the team, you know, and, and guys like Leonard Fournette and, and especially LaShawn McCoy, they're names that have kind of caused people to say those things. But I really think the crux of the team was already kind of in place. So it's that, in that way, to me, it's very different than these teams who went out and spent big in free agency. That's not really what the Bucks did. I mean, they got guys like McCoy and Fournette. Uh, and even, you know, people say Josh Rosen is a name, you know, they got those guys for dirt cheap and they even got Gronkowski for pretty cheap and a trade, you know. So, I mean, nothing, they weren't like big spenders in the offseason, really, outside of the move for Brady. That's the one that'll transform things. But I think that what's being overlooked is the fact that they already built a really strong roster that was fully capable of competing for in the playoffs and even for a Super Bowl title, except for the fact that Winston just kept making way too many mistakes. And that was really one of the biggest things that held them back. Yeah, look, in terms of quarterback, I, I think you'd have to be foolish to say that they didn't upgrade. Obviously, going from Winston to Tom Brady, and I, I don't care what age Tom Brady's at, obviously he still takes care of the football. He's very precise. Uh, one of my questions, though, I have about Tom Brady, uh, and this is nothing against him, I just question if he'll be able to air it out at this age as consistent as a Bruce Arians offense does. Uh, for you personally, one, how do you think he's looked in camp? And two, do you have that type of concern, or do you think they'll find a way where uh, Brady will be fine through 16 games and the arm's not basically going to fall off by the time we get to December? Yeah, it's a good question. So 2017, I believe it was, so this would have been three seasons ago, Brady uh, led the league in 
passes of 20 yards or more in the year, just in terms of throwing it deep, not not even considering how accurate he was extremely accurate. He's always been extremely accurate deep. That didn't change even last season. His numbers accuracy-wise were great last season. In 2018, I believe he was 11th, I want to say, something like that. Somewhere, depending on what site you look at, he's somewhere in that 7, 8 to 11 range in terms of deep ball, a deep ball attempt, so 20 yards or more again. And then last season, according to football focus, he was 13th in deep ball attempts. So 13th in the NFL amongst home quarterbacks in passes thrown that were 20 yards or more in the air. So it's kind of like uh, a little bit of a made-up narrative that he doesn't throw the ball down the field. He's thrown the ball uh, down the field at one of the highest rates in the league at certain points in his career, and going back to 2017 when he had Brandon Cooks and he had vertical threats in the offense. And then even last year when they didn't have anything of a vertical threat, any semblance of a vertical threat at all in the offense, he still threw the ball further down the field, 20 yards or more down the field, at a rate that was higher uh, than the average rate for quarterbacks in the NFL. So he is not James Winston, and that Winston threw it down the field at the highest rate in the NFL last year. But Brady was actually a more efficient deep ball passer than Brady than Winston was last year. He completed, I think, 41%, I want to say, of those 20 or more passes, and Winston was like 37%. Those numbers off the top of my head, but they're right in that range, I know for sure. Um, so he is actually a better, uh, uh, not quite as often a deep ball passer as James Winston, but still a, a, above the league average in terms of deep ball ability and uh, one of the higher and better per, per accuracy-wise uh, deep ball passers in the NFL still. And that was true even last year. So I'm not really worried about it. Uh, I do think you'll see way more way smarter decisions, less airing it out and hoping for the best, like you saw with Winston at times. Um, but I still think this is a guy that's been aggressive throughout his whole career. He trusts receivers down the field. When he's had weapons that can make plays vertically, he throws the ball vertically. When he has not, as he did last season and even the year before, really, was not a hallmark of their team when their defense was unbelievable and they ran the ball really well. He did not. He did it at a fine rate. He just wasn't a huge part of their offense because he didn't have those kind of weapons. So what he does is largely based on what the defense is able to take away, and it was just so easy for them to take away the vertical ball last year and then parts of 2018 that he didn't throw it as much as he had the year before, but he's still throwing it enough to keep teams honest, and now that he has weapons, I don't think it'll be a problem. And in camp, he and Mike Evans have probably had the best connection of any any of the weapons that he has there since Van Evans, obviously a 15, 16-yard-per-catch guy every year who does almost all of his damage beyond 10 yards uh, down the field. So I think he's fine in that room. I don't think it's a concern for him. You won't see him throw it deep as much as Jameis, but He's always been a, a guy who, who loves to air it out, and I don't think that's going to change in Tampa Bay. So you mentioned Brady's connection with Mike Evans, which is obviously one of the more intriguing things. And you mentioned also the weapons, and he really didn't have them that last year. And now, in my opinion, and this is coming from someone who loves the Saints, I think anyone saying that there's a better wide receiver duo out there than Goblin and Evans, I think that's just false. They're just so dynamic, the Mm -hmm. two of them. Uh, I saw Mike Evans was listed as day-to-day. Not too much going out there besides the fact that it's a soft uh, tissue injury, I believe, at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you concerned about his week one status, or do you think it's one of those things where, look, he's going to be a game-time decision, and, and the, the Bucks are just being careful with a guy who has had hamstring injuries before? I mean, I think he's definitely worth being concerned about, yeah. I mean, he's definitely not a certain thing to play. Um, I think it's really they don't know, and they'll see how he progresses, and then they'll make a game-time decision on him at that. We'll see if he practices. You know, Friday's kind of the day we, we got it. If he's not practicing Friday, they're still going to let him go till the game, Aaron said, uh, and, and make a decision then, but I mean, I think it would be a little bit surprising if he didn't practice at all this week. But he certainly he's done it before, and so you know. But I think it's 
I'm guessing, you know, if it's a hamstring, we don't know what it is, soft tissue, you know, but, um, yeah, I think that it's definitely in question whether he plays this week. You just hope it isn't an injury that nags him throughout the season. So the Bucks' backfield, for me, it's very intriguing. I mean, they have so many different weapons there. Uh, depth is clearly not an issue with this team. Uh, kind of a two-part question for you here, John. What do you expect from this Bucks' backfield going forward in terms of who's going to get the majority of the shares, what it's going to be distributed like? Uh, and also, what do you think would be the best version of that Bucks' backfield? Because obviously, you might have a different opinion based on what the coaching staff goes with. Uh, what do you think is the best way to maximize that potential in that backfield? Uh, throw, I mean, throw it as much as you can and, and run it as little as you can. I'm a big believer that throwing the football is how you win in the NFL today. And I think you run at times, certainly situationally, you know, I think hopefully not running as much on first down will help uh, the backs a lot. Um, running a little bit more on unpredictable downs, throwing a little bit more on early downs, keeping teams off balance with what you're going to do schematically and not letting them get kind of connected to any type of tendencies. And so I think that's a big uh, that's a big point uh, to me uh, of emphasis for the Bucks. And I think also it's going to be important to see how they run the football this year in terms of scheme. You know, are they going to load up the box and go 12 personnel and try to, you know, mono mono everybody in the trenches? Uh, I don't know if that's their best recipe for success. Not that they can't have any success in that area. Certainly they're better at tight end and blocking than they have been in the past. But last year was a real weakness, uh, you know, because O.J. Howard and Cameron Braid did not do very well as blockers, and now Gronkowski is one of the best blocking tight ends ever, so he will help a lot for sure, but um, I, I still wonder if getting guys out of the box might be more advantageous to helping them run the ball better. We saw Arizona last year, horrible offensive line, and just guys are running back early, and they're one of the most efficient rushing teams in the league just because they run so often out of spread personnel on spread formations, and they get guys out of the box, and so there's such clearly defined space for the running back when they get the football, uh, that even if a guy misses a block, a running back has space to make people miss and to get north-south. And really, that's what Leonard Fournette needs. I mean, he, he ran into crowded boxes all the time in Jacksonville, and everybody always says, no wonder he didn't have success. Well, with crowded boxes, you still have enough blockers to, to match up with the guys across from you. So that's not really the issue on a surface that people think it is. But the issue is that when you have vision that is as poor as Fournette's, and Fournette really struggles in that area, you need more clearly defined space in front of you when you get the ball to be able to hit things fast and hard. And that's where he's really struggled. When his feet stop, he just doesn't have the momentum to break tackles and, and use his best asset, which is his speed uh, and his size moving forward. So it's really going to hopefully help him if they do that schematically, but that's not been something that they've done a ton of or did a ton of last year. And I think it's one of the reasons why they haven't run the ball amazing. I mean, they were okay at it last year. Um, but I think those things will help. Ronald Jones is better player than he was a year ago. Um, just better all around, added muscle. I think his hands are better, been better in pass protection. So there's arrow kind of pointing up for all these guys, I think, a little bit. Um, I don't think there's anybody that's going to be Barry Sanders or anything in, in the in the Bucks backfield. But collectively as a group, I think they certainly have the ability to get it done, and it doesn't hurt that the Bucks are going to be better up front than they've been in a long time and finally have a tight end uh, blocking-wise that, that really helps them in the run game, which, like I said, was definitely a weakness last year. So you mentioned, obviously, schematically what this team's trying to do on offense, and I, I think they have, on paper, one of the most loaded offenses. And even on defense, I don't think they get enough respect there. But there is one concern I have, and, and I'm, I'm sure you might feel the same way, uh, and I still want to see what happens because they drafted a very, very interesting prospect who I liked in Antoine Winfield. The Bucks secondary, like if there's one thing that I pinpoint that I say, 
I am a little worried. I think that would be the spot for me. Uh, what is a, what have you seen at least from the Bucks secondary to get that indication that they are getting better? And do you think they'll be able to keep up in this NFC South where there are a lot of great wide receivers? Um, I know the front seven's great, but that secondary, are they going to be able to handle their job this year? Yeah, I think that's one of the big X factors of the season for the Bucs. That, the play of Tristan Wirfs, the right tackle as a rookie, how much does it impact things? And then the, the, the depth at edge rusher and on the defensive line, can those guys produce as pass rushers and, and, and impact players if somebody goes down? But getting to the secondary, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, see, the thing is, we only have a small sample size of them all playing together. Uh, you know, it's a different point last year. Sean Murphy bunting early in the year was not really on the field that much. And then uh, also Jamel Dean really didn't play at all until the last six, seven games of the year. So it was kind of Colton Davis, Vernon Hargraves, and Brian, you know, it's just kind of these guys that aren't playing now for the team. And so now it's kind of the second half of the year. It was like a totally different group. And they were like awesome. I mean, they were like one of the a DVOA. They were like super high and all these different analytics. They just did an awesome job. Jamel Deans was like one of the leaders in the NFL and pass breakups last season. And it only played like six games. It was insane. He had like 17 pass breakups. So they had an unbelievable little run there. And you, so you think, oh, this is one of the best secondaries in the league this year. But most of the time, our studies on, on plays that spikes that high shows us that there's some like regression to the mean. And so I do expect that this season. I don't think they have a lockdown number one corner. Now, the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl without any semblance of a lockdown number one corner. <laughs> so it's not the end of the world. But the Bucks do play a man coverage a ton. And so we'll have to see how it, it manifests itself this season. I mean, Carl Davis is a guy they're very high on, and I think he has a lot of good things about him. But he does give up some big plays down the field because he doesn't have the best ball skills. Sometimes can get disconnected in coverage. There's a lot to like about him. Like I said, he's aggressive, impressed man, tough, physical dude. I think he plays the game with the right mentality. He's big, long, and he's fast enough. Um, but I do think that sometimes he loses receivers and transitions down the field. And so there's some concern there. Jamel Dean is probably the most intriguing because, like I said, he was unbelievable. I mean, the Seahawks game, he got lit up last year. It was his first game starting. Then after that, he was un- I mean, he was almost impossible to complete a pass on. He ate Calvin Ridley's lunch both times they played the- in Atlanta. So I don't really know what to get a read on with Jamal Dean. He was so good in the second half of last season after that Seahawks game that I almost wonder if there's any way he could keep that up. But he looked great then. So he's probably the one with the, with the arrow pointing the most up. And then I think Sean Murphy Bunting added added muscle this offseason, which will help. He's not really a natural nickel corner. He plays outside, and then when they go to nickel, he kicks inside, and Dean plays outside with Colin Davis. And so I'm not sure yet what to think of of Sean Murphy bunting. I don't love him inside. I think that's definitely something the Saints can take advantage of. Michael Thomas beat him a few times last year. Um, So I think I know they love him. He's super smart, and he's tough, and he plays the game the right way. He puts everything he has into the game. That's That's true about all three of those guys. So I think it'll just be a matter of how those three grow as the season goes on and how they handle adversity because it's going to come. Teams are going to have to throw it against the Bucks and, and those guys need to be ready. And in the, the safety spots, I, I think Jordan White is very limited. He and Jared Cook had some battles last year. I think that'll continue this year. Whitehead's kind of best for those tight end matchups, but Cook is a struggle for him because he's just more athletic than Whitehead. Um, and so I, I do think that that matchup is definitely one to watch. Whitehead did have some wins last year, but I also had some pretty ugly losses. And so that matchup will be one to watch. Winfield probably playing free safety as a starter. You know, the Saints haven't, at least last year, didn't throw the ball down the field a ton. So I think Winfield, honestly, in run support and coming up close to a lot of scrimmage and 
how he tackles in space, those are the big things. That's why he's starting over Mike Edwards, and those will be the big things that he has to make sure he gets done uh, on game day because that'll be kind of where he could hurt the team if he isn't if he isn't good in that standard. But I, I love him as a player, and I think he's another one with errors pointing up. So really, I think the secondary is very talented, but it is hard to know this early on in all of their careers how well they'll be able to play this year with so much on the line. So you talked about that matchup with Jared Cook. Obviously, there's a lot of matchups in this game that might dictate the outcome. Is there one in particular that you're circling down? Is it Worfs versus Cam Jordan? Is it Lattimore versus Mike Evans if he plays? What's that one matchup that you're going to sit there and say, this is going to have a really, really big impact on who comes out week one with the victory? I think when the Bucks have the ball, they need to be able to get things done through Chris Godwin and through the middle of the field. Um, I think the addition of Malcolm Jenkins is a really good one for the Saints. He is a much better coverage player than Vaughn Bell, and he still is really good against the run. So I think that's a big upgrade that's not being talked about enough, plus the leadership and just the stability that he provides. Um, so I'm a big, big fan of that move, and I think he'll help the Saints match up better against the tight ends that the Bucks have than other teams will. So I'm not really as looking as forward to those matchups as I will in other Bucks games. But I think Chris Godwin, if he plays in the slot a lot, if he has the opportunity to go up against uh, up against PJ Williams and and uh, and Rob and Patrick Robinson, I think those are matchups that the Bucks have to win big time. And obviously, if Evans is out there, that will help because Lattimore will be on Evans, and, and you would have Godwin with some pretty favorable matchups in an area and in a position that Brady completes passes to at one of the highest rates of any quarterback in the league. So. That is kind of the matchup to watch to me when the Bucks have the ball. Godwin's got to shine. He's got to whip, whip dudes. And then I think when the Saints have the ball, um, there's a bunch of things to, to watch. I mentioned Cook and Whitehead uh, for sure. Um, and I mentioned, uh, I mentioned uh, briefly Michael Thomas um, going against whoever he's kind of facing. But how the Bucks defend him is the most intriguing thing to me. Will they have Carlton Davis follow him to the slot? That is really not Carlton Davis's biggest strength as a player uh, is playing in the slot. I do think he can do it. I just don't think that it's, it's his biggest strength. Again, we got to the maybe better with Thomas there than he would like a Julian Edelman type. Um, but so how do they defend him? Is that how they go? Or do they go Sean Murphy bunting in the slot when Thomas goes there? Cause we all know he goes there pretty often. So how they defend that one, I think will be a pretty big key to, to whether they come away victorious and whether they can stop the Saints enough times to win the game. So I got two more questions for you, John. One of them's it's going to be tough because I think both these guys, obviously, they're future Hall of Famers, they're, they're outstanding quarterbacks, and they're still playing at a high level. Uh, for you, just watching, which quarterback do you think at this moment, and obviously we don't know what they're going to look like in 2020, but leading up to week one, do you think, uh, I, I, I would say is probably the more efficient and just looks better on the field right now, uh, is it Drew Brees or is it Tom Brady? Last year was definitely Drew Brees. I don't think anybody would argue that. I think Brady, second half of last year, was honestly, people would say, oh, Armstrong, you know, this and that. You know, I honestly think that he was just pissed off. I think he was pissed that they didn't have the playmakers at that point in his career that he felt like they should have had on the field. I think he was pissed about Josh Gordon stuff. I think he was pissed and Kill Harry, and Kill Harry wasn't working out the way that they hoped and that so many other receivers were. Not that he looked at that around the league. I don't know, but I just think he was pissed. I mean, I, you know, not having Gronk as he normally had, I just don't think he was happy. I think he was frustrated and angry in game because the, the offense was not anywhere close to being as efficient as it had been really at any other point in his, in his time of doing it. It was the worst group he'd ever played with. 
I don't think he ever let that seep out into being bad leader or into the media or anything like that. But when you watch his play, he just was frustrated. He forced balls he didn't force. Uh, it had way less to do with physical skill or, or a decline there, and it had way more to do with just decision-making, which is, I mean, in Brady's point of your career, that's been like his biggest strength. And I just, I thought it was fine last year. It just was not nearly as elite as it normally was. He could have thrown a handful more picks just because he was trying to force balls and he was frustrated with guys couldn't get open. He was throwing the ball down the field, like I said, at a, at a rate that was still above league average and no one was open down the field. So he put the ball into double coverage just to keep teams honest because he knew he, he had to keep giving guys chances to make plays on the ball down the field if they weren't going to have any chance to win, but nobody was making those plays. So, you know, I think that that was honestly the biggest reason for Brady's decline last year and for the decline in production uh, rather than anything else. So I think Breeze was definitely better than him last year, played way more in control. And even though that offense, I don't know if it's the limitations of Breeze right now with arm strength or what exactly it is, the offense certainly hid some of the things that we look for typically in in top-tier quarterbacks. But he's still as accurate as ever, great decision-maker, you know, mental processing, terrific, makes great decisions with the football and doesn't put it in harm's way. Um, So, I mean, both these guys, I think, are still absolutely capable of winning a Super Bowl. There's no question about that in my mind. I think right now you have to give the nod to Breeze because of the season they're coming off of, and we want to see how Brady rebounds from that and plays in a new offense, a new system. But honestly, if I'm anything honest and Chris for this year, either one of these guys could be better than the other, and it would not surprise me at all. I think both are still really good. Yeah, I agree. And actually, you're not even you're you're not the first person to mention too, at least to me, that there might have been some type of frustration thing there with Brady uh, Brady that people just didn't talk about enough. And I could see it, especially when the Mohamed Sanu trade didn't work out. Uh, I, I could right. see why. So uh, I'm really intrigued, uh, intrigued to see how he plays as well. So I'm not sure if you made a prediction yet for this game, or if you if you're leaning one way or another. But right now, where it stands, John, uh, how do you feel about this game for Week One? I think both teams come out of this game feeling pretty good about themselves. But I think the Bucks just have some more things to figure out early on in the season against what I believe is the best team in the NFL this year, uh, at least in the NFC for sure. And so I think the Saints are going to win this game. I think it's going to be a close game, probably pretty high scoring. Um, and I think both teams kind of feel like you had it, they're headed in the right direction after the game. Uh, but I think the Saints are just a little bit further along right now than the Bucks are, especially in terms of the cohesiveness of the group. And I don't know if the Bucks don't have Mike Evans. I think that is a pretty a pretty big shot. In a matchup that's this high profile and that's involved with this quality of a team, I think that that one hurts a little bit if they can't put him on the field. So I think those are kind of the reasons why I'd pick the Saints this time, and I think the Bucks might get him the second time around. Yeah, look, I, I also agree with you. I think it's going to be one score, and I've actually told a lot of my followers on Twitter I'm expecting an, an even split between this series, Tampa Bay and New Orleans. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, look, would I be leaning New Orleans right now for the same reasons mm-hmm. you are? I would, uh, but hey, it would not shock me if Tom Brady comes out, sends a message, and this Bucks team looks super legit um, on the first Sunday of the year, so that wouldn't shock me at all, but it should be a fun game. Uh, nonetheless, John, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I appreciate it. I absolutely love the work you did, leading up to last year's draft, and I'm really interested to see what you have this year too because it's it's going to be an interesting draft uh, with so much uncertainty in college football. But for now, I'm going to enjoy the Buccaneers content you put out there on Pewter Report. So thank you again so much for joining the podcast, and I wish you all the very best. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Once again, that was John Ledyard from Pewter Report, one of the better uh, Buccaneers reporters out there. If you haven't followed him on Twitter already, make sure to do so 
at Ledyard NFL Draft, L-E-D Yard NFL Draft on Twitter. Great follow, not just for Buccaneers content and NFC South content, but one of the better NFL Draft guys out there. Um, outstanding positional rankings he did last year, and I really enjoyed looking at them leading up to the 2020 draft. Now, guys, that's going to end up doing it for this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. I will have one more podcast out there probably uh, later this week about Saints Bucks. Going to look at the injury report, what I'm feeling heading into this game. Um, you know, give a little bit of my usual pep talk that I give before every season opener for the Saints. So I'll get into that. That's more of a hype up episode than it would be um, informative. Now, I will obviously have my information out there and give you guys the number one matchups to watch that weekend. But it really is to pump you guys up and get you ready for what should be another fun season of Saints football. But without further ado, that's going to do it for this episode, guys. I want to thank you very much for listening. Uh, Of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. Um, And until then, guys, I'll speak to you later on the Straight Up Saints podcast.